A lot of people look at someone else's art form or they look at something and they think that they want to just emulate it and start doing similar things or have a, the same path that that person did. But I really think that part of the reason that I became successful with stop motion was just because I actually loved it and I had never met anyone else that did it. Hello everyone, welcome back. You are listening to Let It Out with me, Katie Delbout. And today on the podcast, I have Lucy Fink. And we talk about social media, her time on the Today Show, her job at Refinery29, how she started making videos, negotiating salaries as a woman, living in New York, and journaling, because that's actually how we connected. She does this video series, Try Living with Lucy, where she does five days of something and one of the some things that she did was journaling so of course we connected she's so sweet and nice and you'll hear all of that in today's episode i can't wait for you to listen to it and thank you guys for listening in general thank you for leaving reviews on itunes i read every single one of them if you haven't left one yet shame on you just kidding but it would be cool if you did and maybe tell a friend. Tell a friend about the podcast. Send it along to someone you think would find it interesting, useful, entertaining. Maybe it will make them feel less alone. Give them something for their commute. Just share it. It really helps a ton. And you can always donate to the show. You can always shop through our Amazon link. Anyway, I love you guys. Thank you so much for listening. And I'll keep this intro really short. Here's Lucy. So thank you so much for doing this podcast and I'm such a huge fan of your work. I've been watching your videos ever since someone connected us when I saw your video about journaling. So I'm so excited to chat about your work and everything that you do. Yes, thank you so much, Katie. I'm so happy to be here chatting with you today. Yay. So I want to know first kind of like taking us back how you got into the work you're doing, of course, but and we'll get into all of that, but I really want to start with the present and what you're working on right now and what you're most excited about creatively today. Yeah, well, right this very minute, I'm working on five days on the paleo diet, which is totally new to me. I knew absolutely nothing about it. None of my friends had ever done it, so I had to do a lot of research going into the week, but... Um, currently on Wednesday and I'm learning a lot and I feel really good actually. I got a chance to go to the Museum of Natural History on Monday morning and I met with the scientist there that kind of works in the Hall of Human Origins where our Paleolithic ancestors' bones are stored Um, and it was really cool kind of learning about what they ate back then and why people think that a paleo diet is the best way to be healthy. So if nothing else, I'm learning a lot. (laughs) Yeah, that's fascinating. So I guess to kind of loop people in who might not be familiar, you do these amazing videos where you do five days of, and you've done everything from five days of hydration, five days of spending time alone, five days of minimalism, five days of street performing, and journaling, like I mentioned before. Um, So I would love to know, you know, 
what have all of these experiences culminated for you personally? In the past year of doing these videos for Refinery, I honestly feel like I've tried more new things and opened and expanded my horizons more in the past 365 days than I have in my entire life before. Yeah. Which is really exciting. I mean, it's everything from little things like, as you mentioned, or I think you mentioned the five days of no trash. Uh, that like that episode was one of the most, I guess, like day-altering episodes that I've ever done because it really causes you to think about little things you do every day and how you can do a tiny little small change to uh, your normal routine and really have a great positive impact on the world. Um, so things like that are are the little things. But then on the other hand, it's like some of the really fun things I've gotten to do, like going to get really interesting beauty treatments. I, I did a whole episode about five days of beauty experiments where I got to do a bird poop facial, which what? is crazy. How was that? It was really cool. It's a Sounds really disgusting. How did it smell? It it's basically like these powdered Japanese nightingale droppings <laughs> that the, the Japanese nightingales are fed only berries and seeds, so it's like vegan poop. Even though I guess can't really be vegan if it comes from an animal, but um, they have a vegan diet, and the droppings are then sanitized with a UV light and turned into a powder form and then it's ultimately mixed with rice bran before it's put on your face so truthfully it smells like cereal or like hay Uh Um, not gross at all it actually left (laughs) me with a nice luminous glow so I would totally do it again Um, but just little things like that that I tell my friends what I'm doing every day and people are like what I didn't even know that was a thing you could do. Uh, most recently, I just went fly fishing in Central Park. And so, truthfully, I'm just having a lot, a lot of fun. <laughs> oh, that's so cool. Yeah, it seems like you have a lot of creative freedom there. And I want to circle back to the five days videos because I, I have more questions on those. But I want to talk, take a step back and talk about video and video production Um in general because you've been making videos for years and so I'd love to know you know when and how did you get started with video when did you know that that was the medium you wanted to focus on and you know did you know that what like I want to know what you wanted to be when you grew up as a kid oh of course okay so if we go that far back let's just start there and take us up (laughs) let's start with baby Lucy I kind of had like I have a twin sister so oh no way yeah uh, we're fraternal twins. We both live in New York. Um, now she is in a very different field. She does finance. Do you but, guys look alike still? Um, we have very similar body types and potentially f- similar features, but I am fairer with blonde hair and green eyes, and she is more of an olive skin tone with brown eyes and dark hair. Got it. But a lot of people, you know, if you put us together, they'll mm-hmm. say, Oh, I see it. You look like sisters. Not mm-hmm. not many people would guess twins. Um, but growing up with the twin, and I'm sure only really twins out there could probably relate to this, but I always sort of felt like if you noticed that you could do something really well that your twin sibling couldn't do well, you sort of thought that that was like your calling. Oh, that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. And so growing up for me, that was watching open heart surgery. Oh my gosh. 
That was not what I was expecting you to say. (laughs) I know. I used to turn on the TV and watch, like, gory surgeries, um, and I would just, like, stare at it. And I, my sister would... Where do you even find that on the TV? Like... It would be on, like, some some shows at the time. I think we're probably on, like... TLC when oh 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 yeah it's like before it turned into a reality TV network right. it was like <laughs> lots of open heart surgery shows and I just thought it was so cool and I would watch it and I'd sit in front of the TV and my sister would walk in and like almost throw up and leave and I remember <laughs> my mom had a friend who was a plastic surgeon and she came over to our house and offered to bring pig's feet over so she could teach us how to suture pig's feet and I was like yes let's do it and my sister was kind of like oh god I have to and you know she's like delicately picking around the pig's feet and I'm like all up in there sewing it together just feels this is my dream um so I kind of thought I wanted to be a doctor yeah that makes sense I never really like did any of the stuff that a lot of pre-med doctor students in their youth do like um you know I never volunteered in a hospital or I never really volunteered to do any sort of like research lab work I don't I don't know if volunteer is the right word but a lot of people now that I am a little older and I've met a lot of pre-med students they as early as like middle school or high school were starting to do some sort of scientific research and I just kind of thought that open heart surgery was cool. Yeah. Uh, so it was not really I, – I also used to say to my mom that I wanted to be Sanjay Gupta. And she was like, okay, well, he is a doctor, but he's on TV. And I was like, yeah, I like the idea of, like, doing what uh-huh. he does and, you know, talking to people about the science stuff, but he's also, like, a TV host and personality – and she was like, I don't think there's a, a major for, like, doctors on TV. <laughs> and so anyway, I fast forward to college. I, my sister and I went together, and we settled on Johns Hopkins University, which is, like, the biggest medical institution. So I went in thinking I was going to be pre-med, and I, I freshman year was a neuroscience major and was just, like, so excited about everything. And that is kind of where... I met all these people who were such devoted medical students that they had been doing research forever and really had a clear path of what life as a med student was leading them towards and what their future looked like, whereas I hadn't really thought about it that much. I, In the summers, I was always trying to do things that had to do with media and the summer after my freshman year of college I interned at a film company in New York and I kind of like had this weird world I was living in where I thought I could maybe be a pre-med student and then have fun on the side. Yeah. <laughs> Which is just not how it works. And I like I just truly always was doing uh, I was always interested in media while I was a med student. So even during my freshman year when I was neuroscience and I was taking all those classes, I had pitched a video series idea to the admissions office at Hopkins that was sort of like a travel series about the city of Baltimore that I really wanted to host and make it like a a YouTube show about Baltimore that prospective students could look at on the admissions site. And they had never really had any sort of videos like this before, so they gave me 
the ability to just kind of do what I wanted with it. The admissions officer told me, just bring me a pilot episode and we'll look at it and see how it looks. And I had never produced anything before, but he gave me an editing crew that was all students and a camera crew of students. And I just sort of like wrote a script, went out, shot it, watched the editor edit it and like gave him production notes and then brought it back to the admissions officer. And he was like, oh, cool. This is great. Let's keep going. And that turned into my undergraduate extracurricular, the story of my life. It was like making videos for admissions time and time again for all four years. And I didn't know the first thing about production when I first started, but I really learned the way that everyone says, like, you need to learn is just by practicing and making mistakes. And I had no idea, you know, no terminology. I didn't know any language, but I... You know, I made the mistake once where I, I didn't get a location release signed at Baltimore's Penn Station and I got in big trouble. So then I was like, okay, note to self, need location releases when I go to public spots. <laughs> um, same with like appearance releases for people and, you know, just generally learning how to manage a production budget. I was given a certain amount of money from the school and needed to plan it accordingly how I was going to spend it for an episode. Um, and also learned how to just reach out to people as a producer and let them know what we're working on and how we plan on using them and following up with the final cut and that kind of stuff. Um, and so really I just did that for four years and by the end of college I was sort of in this moment where I was deciding do I now try to become a producer at a company and continue doing what I've been doing at school, but you know, for, for big brands or for a TV network or a larger scale, or do I want to really pursue this on camera passion? And because I, I just remember, I, I just remember with, uh, at some point in college, I skipped a little bit here, but at some point in my junior year in college, I was brought onto the Today Show as a millennial correspondent answering a couple of questions about teens. Cool. And that was like so fun for me and it was my first live television experience. Yeah. And Tell us had, more about that. How did that feel? That, oh gosh, I, I was 19, I guess, and I was at school in Baltimore. I had applied to the Today Show years before when I was way too young, but I mentioned to them in the interview that if they ever needed an on-camera person that I was like, confident that I would be comfortable on camera but I hadn't actually done anything on camera at that mm -hmm. point and then I followed up with them every time a new episode of my Hopkins series came out I would send it to them their HR team and about two years later they emailed me that they were doing a segment about teens and parents and they wanted to hear from real teens and I was like oh my god I'd love to come on but I'm in Baltimore and like the big TV network they are, you know, they were like, oh, we can put you on a train down to New York, put you up in a hotel and have you on the show tomorrow morning at 8.05. Oh, that's so cool. <laughs> I was like, that's incredible. So traveled to New York and was, this was before my first appearance. I was so nervous that I did not sleep. Oh, and I was so stressed that I wasn't sleeping that at about 2, 3 a.m., I took a little piece of an Ambien, uh -huh. which was the worst thing I could have ever done. Um, and I still didn't sleep because I still had so much adrenaline. Oh, and oh no. So then it became like 7.30 and I needed to go into the studio for hair and makeup. <laughs> I actually had not slept and was so nervous. And The Ambien kicks in? 
<laughs> the ambient actually just never kicked in, which is crazy. Oh, good. I thought you were going to say, and then the lights are on me, and all of a sudden, I just fall asleep. <laughs> no, ambient just didn't do anything. Thank God. Just crazy, because now if I take it, I start hallucinating. So I must have just been, like, super hyped up. Yeah. And I remember, I just remember being, like, so afraid, thinking, oh, my God, 40 million people are watching this. The cameras were, like, the size of a truck. I was just like, what is happening? And I was brought on the set in the lights waiting for the talent to come on who was going to be interviewing me. And it was Matt Lauer was the talent that day. And he came on and was like, the the tech guy behind the camera said, okay, one minute. So now my heart is pounding. I can like hear my heart in my chest. And Matt picks up his papers and starts reading it. And he's like, oh, Johns Hopkins, you know, starts talking to me about the lacrosse team at Johns Hopkins. And I'm thinking, like, should we maybe plan what we're going to say? Like, yeah. <laughs> you know, I just met let's you. Let's get it together. <laughs> like, let's talk about what's happening. And he's like, oh, yeah, like, what, what, what division are they again? And I was, like, answering his questions, but, like, really thinking about. Right what we were about to talk about and the all the while the tech guy is like 30 seconds and I'm just getting so stressed and Matt starts asking me so what are you studying and he's just like talking to me about life while I'm you know 10 seconds nine eight and I'm answering his questions and Matt's still talking and then finally he's like all right five four he's still talking <sighs> at three two one and then he points to Matt and Matt just like stops mid-sentence turns to the camera and is like good morning we're here with Lucy Fink from Johns Hopkins University oh my gosh I'm like okay that is why you have that job <laughs> right um and yeah. I was just I was so inspired by the, the entire experience from because of how nervous I was I was confident that I was gonna pass out but <laughs> I remember watching it back and even in the moment the moment the finger pointed at us and the light went on and I knew we were on air every single bit of my fear was just gone and I like for all of a sudden the cameras that before had looked like so big I just kind of blurred them away and I was just having a conversation with someone and I felt so proud of myself after. I, I remember thinking I didn't say um, I didn't say like, I didn't stutter. Um, and I felt really, as I say, um, now. <laughs> and I felt so happy. And isn't it funny? As soon as you like become conscious of it, you start yeah. saying, yeah, it's so funny. Then you start saying it. Yeah. Uh, but I just thought, you know what, wow, maybe I should be doing live TV because this is so fun and I've also I've been to a couple of live tape TV shows I went to Kelly and Michael and I went to the Martha Stewart show when I was young and I just always felt like there was a really cool vibe with live I loved the studio setup and the lighting tracks and the way the cameras moves and I like having a live studio audience too so you know I had when I graduated I had a hundred ideas of different things I wanted to do one being producer one was on camera but in the on camera space there were a whole bunch of things that I was interested in as well as a whole bunch of things that I was not interested in for instance I never saw myself hosting any sort of red carpet events or any celebrity gossip shows or celebrity interviews that kind of stuff um, not to say I wouldn't ever do it and I actually do it for a refinery occasionally but um, it's just not you know, my ultimate career goal. But I kind of was thinking, do I want to be the producer or do I want to be the on-air host? And life 
you know, I thought maybe I'll get an agent and I'll try to just be sent out for auditions and hosting gigs. And I opt, I remember having a moment where I sat with myself and I just kind of thought, which I don't know if this is true or not. I'm sure people would say that it's not, but I remember thinking to myself, I don't think being on camera is a real skill. I, I know that not everyone can do it. It's really terrifying for some people Lucy. and that some people just can't at all do it. But I just remember thinking I need to go the producer route because I need to have a real skill, how to produce and put together a video. Whereas the on-camera route, even though I know you know not everyone can do it and a lot of people freeze up and get extremely stressed out and can't talk if a camera is turned on them, I just never... Because it came so easily to me, I couldn't justify it as being a real hard skill. Um, so I chose the producer route, and I went. I'm so happy I did because I've been told by a lot of people that work in the talent space that you know, at the end of the day, a lot of on-camera or frontal-facing talent winds up becoming some sort of production role at the end or you know every sort of on-camera talent wants a hand in production but they don't always know how all those skills work so to be able to have I, I said to myself I'm gonna go down the producer route and I'm gonna learn real skills and sure I would love to be on camera one day because it's so much fun for me and I'm comfortable at it and I'm good at it but I remember thinking I'm only gonna do that if it if for some reason the opportunity presents itself I'm not gonna go audition for things and that was, also, that was also a lifestyle I didn't want just because I really wanted to live in New York City and my parents were like, if you're going to live in the city, you need to pay your own rent. And I felt having an agent, at a certain point, if you have an agent and you've already established yourself, you'll probably be fine. But starting from basically nothing, all I had was a series at school and a few appearances on the Today Show. So I felt like I really needed to establish myself in any way before I went down that route. So... Decided to become a producer, and I worked at an ad agency out of school at Ogilvy & Mather. I was an associate producer in their branded content division, and it was basically like what I was doing for Hopkins for their YouTube, but times a million <laughs> with big million-dollar budgets um, and huge brands on the other end instead of no brands, and learned so much from that experience. But I remember coming to terms with the fact that there was really no on-camera opportunity for me at Ogilvy because they're an ad agency and they, they actually gave me one on-camera opportunity. I, was, I created a video for their career site with the CEO and it was so fun, but that wasn't really my job there. So it just kind of came out of nowhere and then the opportunity was over and done with and the video went live and that was the end of it. But I kept telling people whenever people would ask me what I wanted to do or where I saw myself, I had a very vague answer. I just said, I want to be making content that if I or my friends saw it on a Facebook newsfeed, would click on it. Yeah. I just wanted it to be relevant to me and my demographic at this time. Cool. And I really think that that desire is going to stay with me forever in the sense that, you know, one day when I'm a a mom or one day when I'm an older an older woman I'm hopefully going to intend to be creating content for people who are like me at the time mm -hmm. 
but that wasn't really an option at Ogilvy and I had learned a lot and I had been there a year and an opportunity came to go interview with the video team at Refinery and they were not that small at the time but there were probably 15 to 20 employees there and to give you perspective now a year later they're like 90 to 100 <laughs> just in the video department just video mm-hmm. um the rest of the company i think in total across all of our offices it's now in the 400s but that's video, so much growth in that department in just a year oh it's insane wow and a lot of the people are um it's not everyone is i don't know the exact number because a lot of people that work in the video department are not full-time they're freelancers but they do come in every day for the whole day they just like aren't paid as a salary um but it's it's grown so much and when i started the youtube presence was very non-existent we were publishing videos on youtube that were part of articles or that were going on site but we weren't really looking at youtube as a space that needed to have like curated content the same way instagram does or any any type of platform and when i interviewed with the team i remember at the time i went in and had a few ideas of shows that I wanted to host. One of them was the Try Living with Lucy concept, although it wasn't called that at the time. It was called The Weak Eye. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was like, you know, I, this could be The Weak Eye didn't use my phone, and The Weak Eye was a vegan, and The Weak Eye didn't use social media and that stuff. Um, and so I had the, this idea and other ideas, and when they asked me what exactly I wanted to do, I gave them like 10, a list of 10 things because partially I wanted to do the producer side and the other side of me wanted to write scripts and the other side of me wanted to host on camera and then I also really liked editing and putting the videos together and then at the same time when I was at Ogilvy I got really interested in stop motion video and I started turning my Instagram feed into kind of like a stop motion business it's so cool Thank I you. love all your stop motion stuff. I wanted to ask about that too, so it's perfect. You're hitting like all the notes. <laughs> perfect, perfect. Um, and so yeah, I had started doing that at Ogilvy, and I started doing it just entirely for fun because I kind of stumbled upon the art of stop motion and thought it was one of the coolest things I had ever witnessed and could not believe that I had made this little piece of 15-second video. And I remember running home and just buying a whole bunch of props and donuts and sprinkles and just making I for about three months I would come home probably every other day and just make a video for my Instagram that's so and fun it was Do you have so a favorite fun. one do you remember the first what was the first stop motion one you made the first was it's way back on my Instagram and it's a marshmallow it's like a marshmallow love story I had bought a mar. the reason this is how I stumbled into stop motion I mm-hmm. bought a marshmallow that was like had a hedgehog face on it so it had some sort of nuts on it and chocolate it had a nose and eyes and it was the cutest thing ever I bought two of them and I wanted I was playing around one day Ogilvy one thing I can say that's incredible about Ogilvy is that the company really encourages people to just like pick up a camera and create things and their whole company motto is about creating and making and being makers and so they were really big on that and we had a little pop-up space in our branded content team where I used to go with a camera and just take cool photos just for fun. And so one day I went in there with a camera and a tripod and I wanted to take a really good photo of this marshmallow because it was so cute. And so I set up the tripod and I took a photo 
And then I remember I <laughs> I was that annoying person that was taking like a hundred photos of the same marshmallow. I just kept moving it and like styling it differently. But all the while the camera was locked on the tripod and the background was like totally still while the marshmallow was moving around. And so when I went to look at the photos and I scrolled through them really fast, it looked like the marshmallow was running around the screen. Oh, cool. So you really stumbled into it. Yeah, I really just like was like, what is this? And then I realized, oh, you know, it, then it hit me. Okay, this is what claymation is, but obviously with clay. And this is Wallace and Gromit and all at Gumby or any of these big stop motion shows. Mm-hmm. I obviously have known what stop motion was all along. I just never really knew that it was a frame by frame picture right. art form. And so I was not busy that day at work. And I said, I'm going to make a feature film about this marshmallow. And I told, I sat there for probably four hours shooting a video. I had to start over a bunch of times because I kept bumping into the tripod and that's like rule number one about making a good stop motion. So kept starting over, but at the end I had a really cute video where, so as the marshmallow comes out and then he gets an idea and he goes off screen, pushes on a paper clip, then he goes off, pushes on a chocolate and then goes off and pushes on a flower and then he covers it with a napkin, and when he pulls it off, like magic, the second marshmallow was under there. Aww. And then he, they kiss and walk off together. Oh, that's so cute. So I actually spent probably four hours shooting and two hours editing, because once again with editing, I had no idea what to do. I connected the camera to the computer, and then I was just dragging like 300 stills into iMovie and figuring out how to mass edit them down into a video and it, it took probably like six hours altogether and the final video was like 28 seconds wow <laughs> and but I put it on my Instagram and my Facebook and shared it with my coworkers. and I remember a couple of them being like wow this is really this is good you should do this for some of our brands and I really wanted to but it didn't end up I, – I did it for a few internal pitches, but I never ended up doing it for any big brands at, at Ogilvy. But I figured – I didn't actually start doing it on my own for the hopes of doing it with brands. I just wanted to do it because I yeah. really was blown away by it. So I kept doing it, and one fine day, probably like three four months later, a brand, Fancy.com, uh, an e-commerce site, emailed me and – they were like, how much do you charge for your videos? We want to do one for Mother's Day. Oh, cool. And I was like, how much do I charge? Um, I'm doing these all for free. So I kind of like threw out a random but number. But they take me forever, so please pay yeah. me a bunch. <laughs> exactly. But I actually knew nothing about the industry or rates. or I, I was so naive. So I told them $100. <laughs> and oh, man. They were like, thankfully, the woman that I was in touch with. What is that, like two cents an hour? (laughs) Yeah, seriously. Well, I had actually, you know, I had boiled it down to a bit of a science with shooting. So, I mean, I hadn't gotten that fast at that point. But now, if I was going to make that exact same video that I made that took six hours, now it would probably take me 40 minutes. That's so great. And I have to pick up on something that you're saying here, which is like, well, two things, I guess, that... To be creatively fulfilled, you know, sometimes it's not about who sees the work or, you know, if it's actually something that you get paid for immediately. I think just like hitting all of your notes creatively is so important just for your personal growth because 
that is just a healthy human thing. And then it eventually could turn into, like you're getting starting to get at right now, something that could be a paid thing in totally. the future. But I think having that intent to begin with kind of actually deters you from that. And then the other piece is that, like, if you want to try something, everything is figureoutable. You know, you didn't exactly. know how to do stop motion. You didn't study that in a classroom or in a school or in a Skillshare. You just taught yourself and that piece of it is so inspiring so anyway I just had to interject that but go on thank you thank you those are really nice points um and I, I totally agree with that I really think that the thing that a lot of people look at someone else's art form or they look at something and they think that they want to just emulate it and start doing similar things or have a, the same path that that person did but I really think that part of the reason that I became successful with stop motion was just because I actually loved it and I had never met anyone else that did it. Of course, after I started looking into it, I found very well-known prestigious stop motion artists who I started following and you know, looking at their style and taking things from them and tweaking them and just kind of learning and growing from the community, but totally whatever you love most and really care to devote that much time to is probably the thing you'll be the best at yeah. just because of time purposes. Um, so I had that stop motion story was, oh yeah, so I told, I told Fancy I would do it for 100, but the woman was really nice and she was like, we have 500. And <laughs> so then I was just like, okay, cool. And it was, it was so that, nice that she said that and wasn't I just know, like, oh, was this so naive she, person will take advantage of them. <laughs> totally. She could have really ripped me off. Yeah. And it's, Ever since then, honestly, with with rates and stuff like that on Instagram, it's been totally like fake it till you make it in my book. Like I just have been throwing out numbers <laughs> and kind of depending on the brand size or the creative ask, I'll change that um, and see how much the budget they're working with before I give them a number just to like see. And obviously, as I've been able to grow, I've been able to work with some bigger brands. So I know the budgets are bigger. Um but since That's Stars really good advice for people to hear too, I think, about charging what you're worth. Definitely. And you know, a lot of, I think my best advice for just people that are kind of managing their own social and working with brands, my best advice is to ask what the brand has before you give them a number because I, there was one brand, I won't say it, but I actually got five times my normal rate from wow. them because I asked what they had and they told me and I said, perfect, that's what I charge. And so... Okay, this is very helpful to me <laughs> because I'm talking to a lot of brands about podcast sponsoring right now. There you and go. I literally wrote that down in my mind because that's something that I've, I've never done. I, I've had different rates that I've asked for, but I've never thought to ask what do you have available. I, that never crossed my mind. Yes, and more often than not, I mean, a lot of times, I mean, I don't know if it's mostly because a lot of PR people reach out or what, but more often than not, when you ask someone what budget they're working with, they will start low, and you will probably have to say, oh, well, I actually charge more than that, mm -hmm. but, but there's, you know, point. one in a million will give you a really high rate that you didn't even know. Yeah. Add. So it's probably just a cool little fact. To yeah, it's a great way to kind of navigate that negotiation conversation and I think you know as young people 
and as women, you know, I, we're we're about the same age and just like being a woman and negotiating and, and charging what you're worth and talking about money, unfortunately, can be this kind of tricky thing for us. And so I think, you know, the more we're having conversations like this where we're actually shedding light on it and having a conversation about it is really important. And, and you know, I would love listening to something like this because we don't really hear about it that much. Completely. I agree. I, and I agree with what you're saying about women. I think it's hard. At, at Ogilvy, I had a, a mentor there who kept, every time that I would go into a meeting to discuss my salary or anything, she was giving me a very specific language to use and things to say. And I was so grateful for her because it's, as a woman, especially with male bosses, it is hard to just, to not ask someone if they have money for you, but to just tell them what you're worth as a person, or in this case, as a, a business, you know, this is what I charge. And I've had to actually learn to turn down a lot of small clients that if I had done 10 of them, sure, I would have gotten a nice sum of money, but that would have been 10 small clients when really it's not even charging what I would charge for one. Right, right. Yeah, that's that's so fascinating. And again, such a good conversation to be having. So you're taking us back to kind of your journey and your story. You do start doing the stop motion videos. And then does that bring you back to your interview at Refinery? Is this kind of going on at the same time? Yes. Yeah, so I was I had just started building that business on the side when I went to interview at Refinery. And I walked in and I, in addition to all those other things I told them that I wanted to do, I, I said, oh, and also I do stop motion videos and I have a little side business on my Instagram where I work with brands to create these videos. And my current boss at Refinery, who was you know, interviewing me at the time, was so fascinated by my feed and I remember she said to me that she has so many people coming in through her door interviewing and she asks them what they want to do for the company and they say to her what they want to do. They say, oh, I want to be a producer or I want to be a stop motion artist or I want to do this or whatever. And she was like, not many people just come in and say, look at what I'm doing already cool. on my own. And she said, she made a really funny comment. She was like, I know that if, if I hire you, you're going to come here and do that, what you're doing on your feed for me. But if I don't hire you, you're going to go do that for my competitor. Yeah. So she was just like, I better hire you. Oh, that's a, that's such great advice, I think, you know, for, you know, very Sophia Maruso-esque, like, for people. I think she gives such good advice to young people and mostly women about, you know, interviewing and careers. And I feel like this is such a good piece of, like, don't wait for someone to give you an opportunity to do your craft just start doing your craft thanks to the internet and sharing it and then it's more likely that someone will ask you to do that for their organization exactly and I think that coming along with just doing the craft and pushing it out there and building you know that that comes along with building a little audience that's there to see your work and I think as in the digital media world that's very attractive to employers to see that you have like a little bit of a following from it yeah and so that was when I went to interview I I think it was like a variety of factors there was the right time aspect of it it was a perfect time when refinery was building up their digital presence and starting to expand into more videos and it was the right 
attitude that I came in with all these different things I wanted to do. And truthfully, I think that by hiring me, they were sort of hiring. I'm, I'm not saying, I'm not trying to sound like, touting my horn so much I just in terms of the skills that I told this is a this is a love letter to you this is the time (laughs) just in terms of the skills that I was bringing them I could have been six different people coming in yeah totally but I was one person who wanted to do it all and who was doing it all already for no money like very scrappy and they just kind of took advantage of that right there and I had a really cool opportunity to put together a unique job title that sort of encompassed all of that and write out my job description that defined how I would be doing all of these individual things that I like doing and it was just like right place right time perfect fit and I feel like I've had sort of like a unicorn position at <laughs> Yeah, well, shout out to your boss for seeing that and snagging you for Refinery because yeah, you've done she's the absolute best. That's so great. Yeah, you've done absolutely amazing content. And I loved what you said earlier on about, you know, you knew you were good on camera. You knew you were good at talent naturally. And that was a skill that came to you naturally. So it made sense for you to develop in these areas that you that didn't come naturally, like learning production and editing and stop motion and developing those skills. So I think that's another really good career takeaway for people too from this is, you know, develop, work on developing the skills that actually need developing, not the ones that you inherently have. Yes, that's a great takeaway. Yeah, and so it seems like with Refinery, you have a lot of creative freedom, and and we mentioned your five days of videos, Try Living with Lucy, and so I would love to know kind of the, I guess you kind of mentioned the inception of that was right during your interview, but then how did you go from, you know, the idea to bringing that to life, and and I want to know a couple of your favorites or you know maybe if one even stands out as your as your favorite. Yeah. So when I when I first started because I was kind of coming in and I assumed, you know, I'm I'm coming in with this weird bizarre title that I wrote that was associate producer slash on camera talent <laughs> and that was like a title no one else had and I I was confused what I was going to do, but I figured with the associate producer title in there that it sort of meant I would be beneath a producer and I would be assisting him or her in whatever projects he was working on and then on the side I'd be able to you know just be on camera in some random any videos where they needed me but so I I went in I started my first day and I went up to my boss um another this so that woman that said that the great stuff in the interview is the chief content officer at Refinery. This man, who is my sort of more direct report, is the um, entire VP of video programming. I believe that's his title. And so he was sort of more involved in my day-to-day. Uh, when I went in, I went up to him and I just said, like, hey, what should I What should I do? Yeah, but, hi, I'm here. Yeah, like, hey, I'm here. Um, like, good to see you again. What should I be working on? And I said, like, is there a producer I should be working with? Do you have an assignment for me? And he was like, what are you talking about? You pitched us a whole bunch of video series in your interview. And I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, like... I did. <laughs> do you like do you want me to to work on one of those? And he's like, Yeah, the 
what about the five days? Go shoot a pilot and show it to me on Friday. And I was just like, oh, okay. Um, And I remember thinking, I think I'm going to need some more resources. And he was like, what do you need? We have everything. What do you need? And I was like, I I might need... Um, a cameraman or a w- camera woman, and he's like, "You, you, just shoot it yourself. Like, shoot it on your phone. Get someone to follow you to the grocery store. Like, just do it yourself." Um, and I was like, oh, "Okay. Uh, well, what about an editor?" And he was like, "You told us you l- know how to edit." <laughs> and I was like, "Damn it!" Because I do know how to edit, but I didn't really want to be editing all the time because I'm not the best. I just can edit. Um, and so I'm like, okay, so you want me to shoot it and edit it, okay. Um, and he's like, yeah, just show me a pilot on Friday. And I was kind of like, okay, just got to go do it. And so I had no idea what the format was going to look like. I, I figured that I would divide the five days by with title cards that said Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, but I didn't know – the flow of it and starting a series is really the hardest part because you need to like lay the groundwork for how every episode looks. Yeah. And he said to me when I said I need an editor, he was like, you should just edit the first episode because you know what you want it to look like. And then an editor can replicate that in every other episode. And I was just like, okay. So my first week at work, I had no cell phone. (laughs) and was still like figuring out the groundwork oh so that was the week that you did a week without a phone yes Very. so I did five days without my cell phone and was you know totally overshot the episode because I didn't know what it was going to look like and what I would need but I shot more than I needed and then sat down on Friday right after I closed it out and got my phone back I sat down and just like started piecing it together and thankfully there was an assistant editor who was like way more proficient than me who sat with me and helped me and we came up with the final cut and I showed it to my boss that afternoon and he he has a very stoic demeanor and so he watched it and he was like huh cool make another (laughs) and I went out next week and I did five days of being on a $50 spending budget and then showed it to him Friday and he was like, okay, cool, make another. (laughs) And I went, keep in mind, these weren't even going live anywhere. I was just making them and they were just sitting in our server. Um, And then I made five days of meditation and showed it to him and he was like, okay, cool. Um, Now the next, we'll start next Friday publishing five days without a cell phone and every Friday a new one will come out. So just keep going. Now you're three weeks ahead. <laughs> oh, that's so great. And it, so it was cool. really just like for for probably 15 weeks, I did, had one come out every Friday. And then I kind of was like, got to slow down for a second because, I, you know, I skipped one week, then I was only two weeks ahead. And then two weeks later, I skipped another week and then I was one week ahead. And at one point I was shooting a video that I needed to put up that Friday. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And I was like, this is crazy. So took a little bit of a break for a little while and regrouped creatively. We changed some of the creative. We changed the thumbnails, did did a few like back-end creative experiments. And it went back live again and did even better than before. I think the audience was like really missing it. They were like, where's Try Living with Lucy? And so now it's I've since introduced new formats because – I want to really make sure that 
I'm diversifying the portfolio of content that I'm in just because there was a time back then when I published a video that was, I was in it, but it wasn't five days. And the audience's reaction was just like, what is this? We want Try Living with Lucy. <laughs> and I was like, that's so flattering, but I'm not going to be doing this forever. So I need you guys to like, like me in other formats. Yeah. So then I've introduced other formats since then. But Try Living has always been sort of the meat of what I do there. And it's definitely the most successful, if not only because we've had 30 episodes plus published at this point. Um, and every single episode topic is taken straight from the audience suggestions, except for a cell phone, which was the first one that I wanted to try. And then I took all the ideas from the audience. Oh, and that's cool. I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. And they, you know, the audience gives me really good ideas. Sometimes I take a little idea from what they do and I, I have to look at it and then put on my producer cap and say, oh, I think it would be a better story if I did it this way, but it's sort of inspired by their suggestions. Yeah. Um, and my favorites, as you asked, I think um, the, the two that have actually really impacted me on a daily basis are five days of hydration because now I actually drink so much water and it feels so great and five days of no sugar because that was a really tough one for me and I'm just such a sugar monster and I unfortunately haven't had a day this is really upsetting but since that episode ended there hasn't been a day when I haven't had sugar yeah but I am I am very cognizant of it now, more so than I was before, and I definitely have cut back a lot. Yeah, I think I think the extremes are hard and not sustainable anyway. So I think that it's all about balance, and I feel like that's a, that's a good spot to be in. So I have to ask about the five days of journaling one, which is how we connected, and. So think back to that when you do so many, so it's probably hard to remember, but can you, since my book is about journaling, I would love to know, you know, what that experience was like for you. And I know it's like all documented in the video, but do you have anything you remember from that week in particular? Can we just talk about journaling a little? Is that something you've kept up with or wanted to go back to? Um, I, I have kept it up. I have so many journals. I'm like such a journal person. I just love like playing with notebooks and I've always like stocked up on notebooks I just don't know why but um me too as as I mentioned in the episode I just kind of grew up with journals but never for the purpose of writing out like what's happening in my day Mm -hmm. the way you know for therapeutic reasons I I was the person who was just like practicing my handwriting or spying on my brother and like writing, trying to be Harriet the Spy in the backyard. (laughs) Um, But I did a lot of research about journaling that week, and some of the benefits that were published were just astounding. Like, it helps a lot of people ease symptoms of serious, you know, mental and anxiety disorders, and it's really amazing. I I actually want to hear more from you about it, but... um, it you know I did it for five days really hardcore really focusing on it and I didn't truthfully didn't like physically feel any different but that was only five days but just in terms of of mentality I 
really just allowed myself to kind of write freely. And that was my favorite part of the episode. There was one day when I was doing goal-oriented journaling and I was trying really hard to think of goals. And that was almost harder for me because I really, I just, I guess I've always liked creative writing. So I, I more so like the idea of just being able to write whatever comes to me. And then I sort of learned about my inner thoughts just from writing and rambling. Yeah. That when I was doing research for the book, I found this particular study that said just that basically of what you proved to yourself in the five days that that the self-awareness piece, I think, is always what I talk about as the biggest benefit to journaling. And the study said that expressive writing or creative writing, when you just let yourself free form, you know, write about the thoughts in your mind is so cathartic for us as humans. And it really, really has a lot to do with our happiness levels. And I thought that that was fascinating. And I could really relate to because I found myself filtering even with, you know, a therapist or a close friend, because there's on some level, we want people to like us, right? And for me, right. like I'm a big people pleaser. So when you take away that filter and just make it for yourself, it can be so cathartic and, and really, you know, kind of why I wrote the book on that topic. And so I think when I saw your video about it, I was like, oh, this is so perfect and so aligned. Her experience is so aligned to the principles in the book. It was such a perfect connection. And I knew I wanted to have you on the podcast. Yay. Yeah, so I'm you, glad you made that as one. Someone, as someone who journals all the time do you experience the physical do you feel physically different when you're journaling I think what I think about journaling is that it is an opportunity for me to be really present you know and and I'm actually you know I'm super busy too so it's not like I'm journaling you know excessively or even every day but I I kind of journal when I feel almost like pregnant with something I need to release you know what I mean like (laughs) I had a weird experience or like that was a weird conversation how do I why do I feel so awkward or you know whatever it was (laughs) like if I have something happen in my life that I need to process um and you know just like you would with a conversation with a best friend or you know with a therapist or someone close in your life sometimes it's good to do that dump with yourself first and then you can still take it to another relationship but you can go even deeper because you first kind of processed that like you've skimmed the pond of that first layer of you know dealing with the experience yourself so I think in the the physical I guess it's not physical I guess this would be a mental response to it but the the main thing that I've gotten from it is deeper self-awareness you know journaling's just helped me to get to know myself better and then therefore I can take and I think in our 20s, you know, we're constantly changing so quickly. It's kind of the second adolescence where we're, you know, I'm different than I was at the beginning of this podcast, you know. <laughs> so I think we're constantly evolving and changing. So to have that self-awareness piece is really helpful. And then I can bring that into my relationships and my work and whatever. And so that's the thing I think journaling can really give other people and has definitely given me. That's awesome. Yeah. So with five days um, living with Lucy, one that I watched recently that I really want to talk about social media, you know, as someone who works, you know, in a job that's super related to social media 
And, you know, our culture just in general, I think we're all addicts for our phones. And I I know it's affecting our, you know, mental health in, in so many ways that we're not even aware of. But I would love to know, you know, what that experience was like for you. And I think you did a video in your other series about social media. So I would just kind of love for you to just kind of jam on social media and what you think that your our relationship with social media is and and what your relationship with it is and and how we kind of balance that as well. Yeah. Well, in 5 days of social media, that was a legit a lot of people ask, "Did you really do it?" And yes, if you go onto my Instagram feed and you look way back, there's a photo that I posted on the Sunday night saying, "Signing off, see you in 5 days," and I didn't post again until the next Friday. Um so totally did it, and as you see in the video, I mean, it's it was sort of similar to the cell phone episode, Five Days Without a Cell Phone, but a little bit easier in that in the cell phone episode, I was like off of social media mostly all day just because it wasn't accessible, but I wasn't really off of social media when I was at my desk. I still had a computer. I still had other ways of technology, but cell phone episode was hard because the actual device of the cell phone taking away social media is really useful to us in our lives. You know, we set alarms with it. It it helps us navigate around the city. And so, yeah, I wouldn't be able to do anything. <laughs> and when I, when I did five days of no social media, I at least still had my phone, but I had just deleted and logged out of all of those apps for the week. So... It was, I was still able to text my friends and call my family members. Um, it was more so, and I was also still on my work email, but I was really kind of in the dark in terms of what people outside of my immediate circle were doing for a week. And as I came to the conclusion kind of midway through, I was like, this is really great. Mm-hmm. I feel like in some ways social media is really – the, the way that I at least, and I'm sure tons of other young people, gather not only info about what your friend had for dinner, but also info about what is happening in the election or like news stories come from Twitter or sometimes a post on the New York Times Instagram tells me more info than I would have learned because I don't sit down and read major publications, hard copies, um, but I do read their tweets and I'm connected with them on social media. So I was sort of taken away not only from the friend world where the where I'm hearing sort of mindless things about my friend's days, but I was also taken out of the, the real world. Um, so I had to end up reading newspapers and I, I think I'm also blurring the lines between my cell phone and social media episodes, but they were really similar. Um, And I I just did a a recent video for Refinery that hasn't aired yet, but we were sort of talking about this whole, like, IRL versus URL Mm -hmm. situation. And I have a very strong belief that social media is incredible, and I really love it. But at the end of the day, I acknowledge that part of the reason that I'm comfortable sort of being on these feeds and pushing out what I will admit is a very curated version of my life, particularly on Instagram. I I know at the end of the day that I'm a very happy, confident, content person. And 
even though I might, you know, go to an event and post a, a photo from it and share a photo from where I was, uh, just to share it with whoever's following me. I don't, I'm not one of those people that goes to the extreme where I'm sharing things that I've never done or, you know, I wouldn't actually buy a piece of food just to photograph it unless I was going to eat it. Mm-hmm. But I do think that my life and my career are so seamlessly intertwined and in that I'm really working to build a creative artistic brand for myself on social media and to me that does mean whenever there are moments in my life that are moments that I want to capture to share them in that format that my followers like to see them in I'm going to step out and do it so I'm the first person to whip out my phone to take a photo of a sunset or of a a donut and a lot of times, my boyfriend actually, who might be able to hear me through the door right now, hey, <laughs> is a very simple, you know, not anti-social media. I mean, he has channels, but he's private, and he, anytime where the sunset is a perfect example, we'll be watching a sunset, and he's like, can you just enjoy it in person, or we'll be at a concert, and he's like, don't you want to just actually, like, enjoy the moment and remember the concert, and I've like I could go on and on about how I 100% want to enjoy the moment of the sunset or you know watch the singer at a concert but I just feel that I'm at a for some reason the way we were brought up with technology taking a photo of the sunset or holding up my phone and snapchatting a sequence at a concert for me is not taking anything away yeah, I completely it's like agree. Really not diminishing my enjoyment of the sunset. I mean, for him because he doesn't use it so much and it's not a, as huge a part of his life. I totally understand why maybe yeah. if you up your phone it would take your mind off of what's happening, but I have it's it's become such a seamless integration with yeah. my that I can like take a Snapchat of an entire song that someone's singing but still watch it in person I'm not just watching it through my phone lens you know yeah. I'm still there it's second nature um, to us it's, it's so second nature that I I totally hear all the people that think millennials are crazy with how attached we are to our devices but as one of those crazy millennials <laughs> I also would like to stand up for the people who truly believe that they are not really diminishing their personality and their presence in your life by having their phone. And one more thing I'll say on the topic is if I, like I would, I would gauge the threshold of that based on the ability to have a conversation with someone in person. And of course, I'm the first person to, you know, I'm going out to dinner with someone I haven't seen in a while or I'm at somebody's wedding. You know, I'm not going to be rude sitting on my phone at a table, but I really think that if you can if you can still sit and have personal connection with someone one-on-one and have a real face-to-face conversation and you're like fine doing that I don't, I don't see why you can't use your phone for something like capturing a sunset. Yeah. Oh, so many things. So many things I have to pick up on there. So, first of all, I completely am of the mindset of you with the capturing of the moment because I would even argue too that and I totally understand you know your boyfriend and and that type of a a mindset too is he your same age is he in our same generation 
Yeah, he's one year older. Okay. So I think it just, but it really makes sense. It, it's not really an age issue. I think what you were saying there about how frequently people use it and how it's integrated as part of their life totally makes the difference in if it takes away from the experience or not. And I would even argue for us, you know, as people who really enjoy it, it, it adds to the experience for me. You know, I when I saw Beyonce recently, I think that was like the last concert I was at, I had maybe just as much fun when I came home and like watched my snap story of the day. It was like this little gratitude journal of the entire experience that I now have after. And so jealous that you saw Beyonce. It was amazing. We could talk all about it. It was so great. But um but yeah, I mean I think I was listening to this podcast today actually and they it was this Nobel Prize winning scientist about um you know, he's he's done all these studies on, on people and, and happiness and the way our minds work and he it was kind of this like very highbrow would you rather essentially and he was saying that that one of the experiments that they did was asking people would you rather go on a vacation where you had an amazing experience everything was beautiful but your um you couldn't have any photos of it at all and you also couldn't have any your memory from it at all. You only had the experience. And then after they, like, gave you some sort of drug or something. I mean, this didn't actually happen, but this is, like, what they're asking people. And you wouldn't remember any of it at all. You don't have your memories. You don't have any photos from it. Nothing. Or, you know, go. I think the, like, alternative was to go on, like, a shorter, less cool thing, but you would have photos and whatever. And everybody chose the one with the memories and the photos because I think it is part of our human experience. Like the the experience part is amazing and it's great and happiness does happen in the present. However, I think we can kind of prolong those experiences by having evidence of them. And then also the other part that was fun, like using the Beyonce example, like after not just me watching my story, but then getting to react to my friend's reaction to it and then bringing in more people who weren't there with me that was also almost just as fun as being there, you know? I completely agree. I also see moments like if I'm with my friends and we are going apple picking, say we're on a bus together and we're going apple picking, I don't know what my parents might have done on that bus. Maybe they would have just sat there and talked to each other and gotten to know each other on a deep level. (laughs) But, you know, I'll be on a, a bus with 10 girls and we're all talking, laughing, but also Snapchatting. Yeah. And also, you know, holding the phone up and looking at ourselves with weird filters and laughing. It's fun. And I'm sure if there was an adult on that bus, they would have been thinking, you know, why why aren't you guys just like enjoying the moment and talking and having fun together instead of being on your phones? But I truly, I don't even know how to describe it other than saying that I really think that picking up our phones and taking pictures and texting our friends and, you know, communicating with people in cool, funny ways. Like, that is the present version of having fun. Yeah. Yeah, it it adds to the experience. And I think, you know, I think Instagram's a little bit different with it because I I use Instagram in a very different way than I did five years ago or I guess maybe it wasn't quite that long ago or four years ago or whenever it came out than I do now, now that we have Snapchat and, you know, Instagram stories where I think that can be more raw and real and the more curated thing that we, you know, want to 
put out on Instagram, let's say, is something that, you know, I will probably do when I get home from apple picking or get home from the concert. But I think that in the moment, fun, putting something out there, it's about it. I was just talking to somebody about this. Since we grew up with social media and it's so intuitive for us, it's my scrapbook, you know? It's how yeah. I, I I have the app Time Hop and I love looking back at what I posted a year ago or two years ago. It, it kind of comes back to, it's almost like a journal, you know? It kind of tie this all up in a, with a bow, you know? It kind of goes back to what we were talking about there. It, it helps you process your experience and, and kind of see your own growth and see your own trajectory of, of what's been happening in your life. And I think that that is really interesting and something that I, you know, really value from social media. I agree, and I I would venture to say that maybe one tenth of the photos that I take in my life, or of the the you know time spent with my camera open, are actually going to be photos that I post. Maybe. The other nine tenths are photos that I'm taking to have my, as you said, digital scrapbook. Yeah, and I actually do go back into my camera roll. Probably like every three, every two or three nights, I go through my camera roll and go like really far back. And these are photos I've looked at all the time, but they're still funny. And it's still, you know, I'll watch a funny video and I'll send it to my friend as a reminder. Yeah. And it's just how we communicate. Yeah. Oh, I love that. This is actually so interesting. This is such a fascinating conversation about social media as two millennials in the same generation. Yeah. I think it's actually really fascinating. And another thing about that is, you know, think back to like, the 90s or, you know, when we were a kid, we weren't, you know, if we were our age when we were a child, you know, like in the 90s when you would go to one hour photo and you would, you know, get photos developed. I remember that being the most exciting thing, getting back my disposable cameras. Like I, I was so excited to see those and it was so fun and you would like share it with your friends and you had all these photos. And I remember like my cousins who were 10 years older than me always having photo albums and like taking right. photos so having frames it was like a big thing and I think our version of that in this generation is our photo albums are just digital and it's better for the environment <laughs> <laughs> agreed yeah and going back to when we were talking about my boyfriend and his opinion on social media and you know he's our age I actually think a big a big factor that sort of shapes what your opinion winds up being about this is your career and your job. Yeah. And he works at JP Morgan. He's in finance. If he was sitting at his desk all day with his phone out, he would be fired. Right. <laughs> Whereas I'm sitting at my desk and I post a photo in the middle of the day and my boss likes it two seconds later. Yeah. And if you didn't get out I, your phone all day, you would get fired. <laughs> exactly. Like if, if I wasn't on my phone or posting all this stuff, it would be detrimental to my career. Yeah. Whereas for him, you know, he doesn't he, – he posts once in a blue moon when we go on a trip and he gets a, a nice landscape photo. <laughs> I'm like, oh, God, I haven't posted in a whole day. I need to keep up my feed. Yeah. So it's partially the weaving of the job with the social media. And I understand, you know, even my sister, she works in finance too. And she, like, is a little bit – I don't know if it's like a girl guy thing. I don't want to say that, but she she's a little bit more interested in it, but she still doesn't post all the time because she's at work most of the day with her phone away and it's in her industry and all the people she's around, it's not really the best thing to be doing. Right. Whereas in, in my industry, you know, every single person is posting and like 10 of my comments will be from people that are sitting across the desk from me 
just doing work. Everyone's getting their work done and doing work, but we're all online and active. Mm-hmm. It's interesting what you said about your boyfriend versus your sister being in the same career, but having slightly different relationships with social media. I, I'm curious on if you think, and I'm trying to like develop what if I think about this too. If it if it is kind of a gendered thing, because I do tend to think, depend, you know, careers aside women do seem to be a bit more, I guess that makes sense, you know, even thinking back, women maybe are more apt to have scrapbooks or to, you know, take photos on a digital camera. It does seem to be a little bit of a gendered thing. What do you think? I actually would say that it's not. And that's only because, well, just looking at my sister and my boyfriend, Mm -hmm. my sister was always, even though she worked in finance, she always had a bit of an artistic, creative photographer's eye. Mm -hmm. So, she always had an interest in Instagram because of that. But just looking at two men, my boyfriend and my brother, um, both men and they, like my boyfriend doesn't care about social media and my brother's like all over it, posting all day, loves his Instagram. He's all over Facebook. He's in a band. His band has a Facebook page, like constantly posting and he's really into it. And he's, he's the one who will like, text me when I post a photo and be like, oh, look how many likes you got. Like, he's really into (laughs) it. Um, And so I I don't know if it could be a gender thing, but then I look at the industry and my brother works in more of a media field. So I would say that it's mostly, and and I also think, you know, if someone's working in media, they likely are interested in social media. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think it it more so has to do with interests and your job choice rather than gender. Yeah, that makes sense. Oh, this is fascinating. I could talk about social media all day, but New York City is something that inevitably becomes the backdrop of your videos because that's where you are and where you work. But it's also, you know, really a character in in many of your videos. I was watching the five days of street performing and, you know, the other series you did, which I loved. What do you think? Oh, yeah. Um, Which is so good. And so you were asking New Yorkers their opinions on things. and, And so I would love to know, you know, do you consider yourself a New Yorker? Where did you grow up? I grew up in Westchester, so just like 30 minutes north of the city. Okay, so you've, so you've been around. But I, I would love to know, you know, what it means to you to be a New Yorker and what are your favorite and least favorite parts of, of being in New York and um, just, yeah, just kind of riff on, on New York for a bit. Yeah. Um, I love how you phrased it, a character in my videos. I never thought of it that way. And yeah. I, love, I really love that. Um. But totally, 100%. I have, I'm from New York State and just outside of the city. The city was never a really big part of my life until I lived here during one summer in college. I, I used to come in for like nice dinners with my family or we'd occasionally, we really only came in to see shows. Um, but I didn't know anything about the city. Um, couldn't find my way around. I, I knew so little that... On 9-11, when I was in fourth grade, my dad, who worked in Queens, um, called us that he was, or before he called us, when we found out what had happened with the towers, I was confident that my dad was involved. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I just now thinking of a map of lower Manhattan versus Queens, like, he's safe. But that's how little I knew about it. And I had been on a couple of school trips there in college where... I remember mapping out in my head where I was, 
and thinking I was walking one way, but now that I look back on it, I was like facing the total opposite direction I thought, and I was in a totally different part of the of the island than I thought. And so didn't know much about New York until 2013 when I moved into an NYU dorm for one of the summers and totally did classic New Yorker, rode the train the wrong way many times, got off in Queens thinking I was at Union Square, <laughs> like oh, no. did not know where I was going. One time I walked, into, I was on um, all the way west, or I, I was sort of midtown and I needed to go east and I ended up walking all the way west to the river uh-huh. thinking I was going the right way and then was like, what did I, I just didn't pay attention. And so I've totally made those New York mistakes, but um, I think the big thing about New York that people always talk about and say especially people that don't live here or people that live out in California, the big thing is, oh, New York is too fast-paced or, like, I could never I could never do it in that city because everyone is just so high-strung and running around and it's so fast and you get swept up in the hustle-bustle of the city. And I, for whatever reason, have just never thought of it that way. I always knew I was going to move to New York. I... That's just what I wanted to be in New York because my family was so close by and pretty much a a lot of people from my town wind up moving here. So all my friends are here and a lot of my college friends have moved here. And so I always knew I was going to be here and I never ever like let myself feel as if I was getting caught in the, the shuffle. You know, I think every single person is their own person and there's room for all of us here. I mean, I'm looking out my window right now and just the amount of bedrooms that are in sight from my window <laughs> is pretty absurd. Um, and I, one of the coolest things, I love looking at, right across the way, across 6th Avenue from where I live, I can see into another apartment building and it's almost like, you know, I don't live in the cool West Village area where Carrie Bradshaw lived or uh, where the people from Friends live, but I almost feel like I know my neighbors the way they do. Cool. <laughs> I can I look into my window and you know there's a you know there's a girl across ugly the way. Ugly naked guy. <laughs> I don't have ugly naked guy, thankfully. But there's a girl who always eats dinner on the floor. Oh, cool. And then like, there's another person who, whenever I wake up, I look across and he's always still in bed and looks so comfortable and I'm oh. so tired. And it's like, and this is a, you know, a big, it's a high-rise building, and I still feel like that close, intimate setting. Um, I think New York, it's more about the mindset. Like, if you come here, and a lot of people come here and think, I'm never going to make it because it's too crazy, and they crumble because they just can't, because they've told themselves that they're not going to make it. But I just think that's crazy. This is such a big city. There are so many things to do. There are so many pockets of people. It's not like a high school cafeteria where there's the top tier and then the the losers. Like that is a, a horrible way of looking at it. This the city is like a world. And I there are tons of people who live their entire lives here and never leave. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm sure they have very wholesome round lives. And even just in terms of cultural things and, and being able to explore different cultures, this is the city for that. There are tons of places, turn the corner and you're in a different neighborhood with different types of cuisine and not to be generic, but like there is a little Italy and Chinatown and you can go to these places where 
real uh, people from these cultures live and run the restaurants and manage mm-hmm. things and own the businesses and you can like have a real cultural experience in the city and that's something I've really found with my series I, I really have tried to not just in five days of cultural dining but I have tr- I think that was a very surface level version of that but just in general I have tried to kind of find how to not look at New York as this crazy like suction cup void where there's a very small group of people who succeed I think it's like so much room for opportunity here and the people that see that opportunity are the ones who get it yeah oh that's really cool so all right this has been amazing and I want to kind of tie things all up with the questions I ask everyone but we've talked for so long let's do these sort of as quick fire but some might be a little bit longer cool yep Okay, so this is one of my favorite questions to ask people because it gives us a lot of insight on on what their lives are like. So, what are some of your morning routines? What are maybe the first few things when you do that you do when you wake up in the morning, and how that affects how the rest of your day goes? Unfortunately, I pick up my phone right away, <laughs> but that's only because I'm turning off my alarm. But I and I'm really cognizant about trying to put it down right away after that. But it's hard sometimes because I'm a big snoozer. Mm, so me I, too. Snooze, I snooze my alarm like eight times. Yeah. Um, but once I'm up, pretty much the same every morning. And I get out of bed. I make my bed immediately, which feels great. But it's really hard because I have those like hospital corners and <laughs> the sheet is constantly falling off the bed. But I make it every morning and then... I go into the bathroom and I do my entire wash-up morning routine, brush my teeth, wash my face. Um, I'll take a quick shower in the morning, but I'm really big. I can't wash or do my hair in the morning. It takes me too long, so I do my hair usually at night. Um, And then I don't eat breakfast at home. I've recently started brewing coffee here so that I can just pour it into my swell, and I'll take like an iced coffee with almond milk in my swell onto the subway, but I, I really do miss the days actually when I used to make breakfast. I, I used to make eggs or you know some sort of toast in the morning, and the only reason I don't do that now is because I like I'd rather get the extra sleep um, rather than wake up earlier to cook. But on some days I just pop up and I'm like, oh, I have time. I can make a good breakfast, but. Then I'm off to work, and once I'm at Refinery, thankfully Refinery has, like, kitchens and stuff, so I can – there's a lot of snacks there, so I always eat breakfast at work. Cool. Very cool. What about in the evening? What are some of your evening routines, things you do to relax and wind down? Um, I watch a lot of night nighttime shows, things like the Entertainment Tonight and The Tonight Show and SNL. Um, sometimes, like, I don't really watch them all live. I watch clips of them from YouTube or I, I used to be into a couple of Netflix shows um, and when I'm in the middle of a Netflix show I like cannot skip it for a night so I'll just like watch an entire series I, I did that with Orange is the New Black last year um, just watch it straight through until I find out what happens um, but recently I just moved in with my boyfriend this summer so we we have been dating since high school and we just moved in um, in July. So Aww. it's been seven years of dating, but only 
three months really of living together. Um, and that's been, it's been really great to, it, it kind of changes up your nighttime routine because before, you know, a lot of living in New York, but not living with your significant other is planning, you know, like, are you going to come over tonight? Should I pack a bag and come stay with you? Should we stay at our separate homes tonight? Mm -hmm. And it was always a question. Now it's so nice to just know no matter where we are, who we're eating dinner with or where we're getting drinks, we always know we're both coming back home to the same spot. Um, And he has to get to bed a little earlier because of his finance career. So we usually like to get in bed and turn on the TV and I have a TV in my room for the first time in my life. And... Lots of laughter. We just laugh. I love that. I love that. <laughs> so what do you do to manage your stresses? You know, do you meditate? Do you go to therapy? What are some of your, your tools? Meditation has been key. And I wish that I – I've only really I, – I did it for five days in the episode. And then I went to – I have been in touch with the people from the meditation club that I went to. And I really aspire to do it every day. And there have been, like – bouts and times in my life when I will get on that meditation train and I will meditate for three days at a time, you know, 20 minutes a day without fail. And it feels really great. But for some, it's kind of like how it is when you get sick. And the moment you get sick is when you start really taking care of your body and then you get healthy and you kind of like forget about it again. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That's how it is for meditation with me. I, in moments of extreme stress, I get back into it and I'm like so into it. And then when I'm done being stressed, I kind of don't have the drive to keep it up. Yeah, isn't that funny how that But happens? it's something I really feel is great and should be doing more of. Yeah, cool. So another thing we talk about a lot on, on this podcast is, you know, body image and, and what we think of our, our physical bodies and how that helps us navigate or hurts us navigating and expressing ourselves creatively and in our careers and as someone who's in front of the camera and a, and a very public person and as a woman, you know, how has your perception of your physical appearance been something that you think about and in the work that you do and, you know, what advice do you have, you know, for women around that? Yeah. Well, in terms of body type, so my my whole life I've struggled to put on weight, which I know is opposite of what most people have. Mm-hmm. And my mom is extremely thin she's was a fit model growing up and you know she's now in her 60s and is still a twig and my twin sister believe it or not is even a little skinnier than I am and she eats like a crazy person and our whole lives we've been you know we never we never really were massively underweight but we were always very petite and tall and I, I grew up with people, you know, accusing me of having eating disorders or not eating, and only my real close friends and family just knew that that's so far from the truth and that I eat, like, a bacon, egg, and cheese every day and don't ever watch what I eat. I just happen to have a very fast metabolism and so don't put on any weight, but... um being on camera, I kind of, like, I guess I knew going into it that that would be something that people would point out because, you know, as people who don't know me and just see me on camera, there are obviously the the people who I'm sure have some body dysmorphia of their own who write very nice things to me, but things like, oh my God, I wish I was that skinny. And it's like, 
I, I almost want to write back and just be like, love your body. <laughs> but that's yeah, yeah. phrase. But, um, you know, there are the people who some of the, the nastiest comments have been like telling me that I need to eat a sandwich or like mm-hmm. suggesting that I go talk to someone about my anorexia. And it's like the hardest part is just yeah. knowing deep down internally because I am me, knowing how much I actually eat. Yeah. Being like, there's actually just no way to tell these people. Like, um, unless I wrote a, a personal essay about this and the whole world read it, like, there's never going to be a time when everyone's going to just understand that I do eat a lot of food. Yeah. <laughs> and that I don't think about it and that I'm, I guess you can say that I'm lucky because of that. But at the same time, like, there, the grass is always greener. Right. And everyone has their own issues. I, I just never, you know, and, and maybe it's because the media tells you to be extremely thin, and I was, that I never really thought about body image, and so I never, like, had any sort of negative thoughts about my body. Um, and even to this day, even with people saying that I'm too thin or whatever, I, I know that I'm a very healthy weight. I go to the doctor regularly. I eat very healthy and very not healthy foods, and my body doesn't change. So like to me, that's my body telling me that it's at its healthy weight. Yeah. Um, and at a certain point, I mean, even, and now this kind of takes us past the body image stuff, but just even like looks or anything about you really physically, but as well as like you as a person is going to be critiqued in a career where you're on camera and facing an audience. And I kind of learned that really early just the first video ever that went up for a finery, I, I wasn't even talking in it. It was like a Halloween, how to wear a sheet costume three ways video. And it went up like over a year ago now. Um, and the first video, nasty comments started rolling in. And I, I remember I was like at a fork in the road where I was like, wow, this negative comments do really hurt. And you read it and it's people yeah. Saying, saying things about, you know, not just how you look, but when you are speaking on camera, it's like things about your vocal fry or yeah, things about, um, like, I can't even, it's just crazy what people pick apart about you. Yeah. Uh, and it, I won't, I won't be the person that's like, oh yeah, I just don't care. I just ignore it. Like it is hurtful. We're all real people. And I do read comments because they really help me inform the series. So I read everything. Um, but I've gotten to a really great point where I'm like, I really had that fork in the road moment where I thought I'm either going to never be on camera again and like hide under a rock or continue doing exactly what I'm doing and open myself up for this kind of response in the future. And that's exactly what I did. I just decided, you know, I can't, I really want to do this career and some people naturally are going to love me. Others are going to hate me. The comments, honestly, that hurt the most have nothing to do with physical. I, I'm, like, so confident with who I am in my body and knowing what I eat and knowing that I am I feel confident about my inner beauty and outer beauty, and I'm, like, great with that. The comments that actually hurt me the most are comments about the construct, like, how the video is, the quality of the yeah. video. I'm like, oh, you're right. <laughs> yeah. The audio was really bad there. I should have fixed that. 
right. or something like that. And so that's the biggest problem I have. But I mean, not that it should make you feel better, but if you look at any on camera forward facing person, there is negative stuff written about them everywhere. And a lot of it comes from really sad people who are not secure with themselves or have some jealousy or whatnot. Um, and I just I don't I don't think the internet trolls can really judge your career or life. Yeah, yeah, that's so interesting. I wrote an article about a year ago for Refinery for your colleague Kelsey Miller's Anti Diet Project mm-hmm. column and about my eating disorder and and my you know struggles with that and there were photos of it photos of me in it and there was a whole thread in the comments about you know people dis- literally discussing my body and and what I looked like and getting a taste of of you know reading that and you know what Kelsey goes through with the internet trolls I think it just really goes to show no matter what type of body you have somebody's gonna have something to say about it which is ridiculous and crazy um but I'm really glad that I asked you this question you were able to talk about it from a perspective of someone you know on a different end of the spectrum than we hear about a lot when we do talk about body image because usually when we do talk about body image on this show and just in general it's a about someone wanting to be a size or weight smaller than they are. And it's really great to hear this perspective from someone with the type of body type that you have to, to talk about it. I think it's helpful for people with a similar body type to you and, and someone different than you. I think it's just great that, that we brought that up. So thank you for sharing everything you did. Of course. Thank you. Okay, so these ones are a little bit quicker, and we'll we'll fly through them, and then we're going to land this helicopter and be <laughs> on our way. Perfect. So, favorite color? Green. Favorite day of the week? Friday. Favorite hour of the day? I really love 2 p.m. Nice. Favorite season? Summer. Best thing you've eaten in the last week? The morning bun from Quality Eats. It's on my Instagram. It's delicious. Oh, I'm going to go check that out. What's it called? Morning bun? Yeah, it's like a giant cinnamon bun. Oh, nice. Called the morning bun. Nice. Um, What's the best place you've ever visited? Um, Hmm, good question. I have to go with Aruba. It's, it's, it's It's not exotic, but my family has been there like 25 times and it's a second home. Oh, that's lovely. A place that you still want to visit. South Africa. What music have you been listening to lately or recently or a song or an artist that you want to recommend? Um, I can't stop with Hamilton. I just can't stop. Nice. nice. <laughs> um, do you have a favorite podcast that you want to recommend to people? Um, yeah, everyone should listen to strong opinions loosely held it's a um i I don't know if it's through refinery 29 i believe it's a refinery 29 series but one of my coworkers um runs it it's really great oh very cool i'm excited to check it out what are some of your biggest career goals and creative goals in your life um definitely want to stop thinking too hard about where i'm going to be in the future and just letting it come um I want to keep up the stop motion work and 
you know, work with some even bigger brands in the future. And right now I'm just, I'm so happy with my current place at Refinery and I feel like I have such a great connection with all of my coworkers there and everyone that is, everyone that I'm working with on a daily basis, we're just so on the same team and I really, I'm excited to see where Refinery goes in the coming months because we just got a really nice investment from Turner Broadcasting. So I don't know what that means for us in terms of potentially expanding to bigger linear platforms or different mediums, but I'm hoping to go along with them. Oh, so cool. That's so exciting. What is the biggest lesson you've learned about relationships? Hmm. Um, just in relationships, can it be friendships? Yeah, friendships, romantic relationships, family, maybe some of each. Yeah, I learned uh, pretty early on in high school, and I don't, I can't even remember what I learned it from, but I had this like awakening moment where I remember, I realized that I was friends with a lot of people in high school that um, our values didn't align, and I had a moment where I thought, oh my god, it's really cool to be nice mm, that's <laughs> like so I, lovely I was just like for a while and I don't it's not that anyone taught me this or whatnot but you know being in a, a suburban school and your your high school starts to feel like a bubble you start to feel like it's classic movies where the mean girls are popular right and for a long time I thought that it was really cool to kind of be like the popular, you know, not the nicest person. And I didn't do any horrible things. I just thought, I genuinely thought that was the truth until I had a moment in ninth grade where I thought, wow, I think it's actually opposite of what I've thought this whole time. Mm -hmm. And I think it's really cool to be nice. And I've approached all of my relationships with all my friends since then with that mindset. Oh, I love that. That's such a <laughs> sweet one. Thank you. All right, so we did it. The name of this podcast is Let It Out. So I have three final questions for you. Um, so first off, what else do you feel like you need to let out, let out in your life? And so we can start there and then tell us anything that you wished that I would have asked you, anything that you want to talk about that you wish people would ask about that you never get to talk about, and anything you want to ask me. <laughs> um, let it out. I want to let I want to unleash some more creative art hands-on art projects. Um, I just did five days of art. It hasn't gone live just yet, but definitely want to let out my artistic painting hand. Uh, what was the second part? Anything that you wish people would ask you more about that you never get to talk about? Um, hmm, good question. I just like pretty much rang you dry. I feel like I I asked it a lot. We We've covered been talking all the for basics. almost two hours. So. Um, well, actually, not that I would expect someone to know it or ask, but uh, one of my like favorite, a huge part of my life that I actually don't talk about that much is how I went to a summer a sleepaway summer camp for eight years, and like it's one of my favorite places in the whole world. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah, that's great. Well, now, thank you so much for doing the podcast. Did you have fun? Would you I had again? so much fun. This was great. <laughs> Amazing. Thank you so much for being here.
I'm so glad that we connected and, and we can be friends and, and be in touch. And I love what you're doing. Thank you. You too, Katie. I think you're really incredible as well. And this podcast is a testament to that. And I hope you get some great brand sponsors. Yeah, I'm going to use your line. I'm going to use your line. It's going to be great. Yeah, ask them their budget. <laughs> I can't wait. Anyone listening, feel free. Reach out. Let's talk. Let her know your budget. Seriously. Great. <laughs> All right, that was my conversation with Lucy Fink. She's amazing. If you are still listening, thank you. Tweet at us. Tweet at Lucy. Tweet at me the Christmas tree emoji if you're still listening at this point. And I will see you guys back here next week for another episode. Love you. Bye. Bye.